Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Schein. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marsh McLennan Agency and the host of Chatting Cyber Podcast. Today, we have a true cyber celebrity with us, uh, Omar from Crow LLP. Omar, thanks for joining today. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Of course. Uh, uh, looking forward to today's conversation. Um, so, Omar, um, you know, we were talking before the show, and I mean, your background is truly fascinating. Um, my question to you to start off is, you know, has a guy who went to elementary school in Pakistan get a, 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 a scholarship to go to high school in the U.S. and then end up being one of the leaders in one of the largest accounting firms, cybersecurity groups in the U.S.? Thank you, Mark. That's a, that's a great start to our conversation. Um, so, yep, that was, that was ages ago, but, but that's correct. I, did, um, I grew up in Pakistan um, and at the age of 15 got a scholarship opportunity to come to the US and study here. And I jumped on that. It, it was super exciting. Um, so I, I uh, went to high school here in New Mexico, uh, did my university in Texas, uh, down at SMU, go Mustangs, uh, and then joined the workforce as an electrical engineer. Um, so that's really my background. It's really focused on engineering, uh, technology. I know uh, back you know, in the 90s, when, we, uh, when I first kind of started working, late 90s, uh, really, it was all about telecom. Um, you know, your your uh, digital cellular networks were were being laid out. The backbone internet was had just been deployed, so really, it was a super exciting time. Um, almost a little bit of the wild west, if you can say, <laughs> in terms of security. Looking back now, uh, but but certainly exciting time. Um, you know, and and a lot of lot of opportunities to <clears throat> learn and specialize. So I, I did a lot of. Um, uh, radio frequency engineering, software engineering work uh, to the first decade of my career, uh, and then moved uh, more into information security, IT, uh, over the last uh, decade and a half. And, and, that's, and that's pretty, uh, I'd say, um, uh, common uh, in our field as you know, our, our, the organizations that we worked for as they matured and those IT uh, and information security needs are really mushroomed. Um, so did you know the the uh, those of us who were working there? Uh, we we start you know kind of shifted our focus as well. So, but I, I really feel that that engineering background has you know given me a sound foundation really to understand today's threats, today's uh, technologies, the opportunities. Um, so I really encourage you know folks who are who are looking for you know how to join the information security career uh, to really you know, if you, if they can build that foundation in technology, uh, but whatever interests them doesn't have to be engineering. I think that's that's a really good place to start. That's, that's great advice. And, you know, we have a lot of young listeners, so certainly appreciate kind of the guidance and how to get into the role. Um, you know, Omar, I know you spend a lot of time in the financial institution space. Um, just, you know, it's, it's now we're coming into the fourth quarter 2021. I mean, what are some of the, what are some of the threats that you're now seeing in the FI space? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a great question, Mark. So I, I spend most of my time in in our financial services, which is you know what you call financial institution space uh, within Crow, uh, and it's part of our consulting uh, consulting arm. 
Um, and, and really what's interesting in this industry is, you know, you see a convergence of risks between cyber uh, and financial crime, right? So financial crime has been there forever, even before <clears throat> technology and computers. Think about the old bank robbers in the, in the Wild West, right? So banks have, and, and financial institutions have always been at risk uh, of crime and financial crime. And what we've seen over the last decade or so is really a convergence between that uh, and, and cyber threats and cybercrime. Um, I think the good news, I'll start with the good news first, Mark, is that our industry, I think, has weathered uh, the storm of the last year and a half quite well. And part of it was, we, were, you know, compared to other industries, we had a pretty solid foundation uh, in terms of um, security frameworks, in terms of that regulatory uh, guidance that was in place for banks and, 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 and we, you know, as an industry had to follow banks and insurance companies as well. Um, so that I think helped uh, our industry do better than some others like healthcare and public sector, sure. et cetera, um, you know, over the last year, year and a half. Having said that, um, we still have seen an uptick of, of attacks and threats on our industry. Uh, vast majority of which are coming from organized crime. So these are, these are no longer kids in basements trying to, you know, one-up each other and see what they can hack into. We, this, these are organized criminal, um, uh, you know, groups who mm -hmm. are, are doing this for profit. They're doing it in sophisticated uh, and well-planned uh, ways. Um, we have seen, as, as you know, you know, as, as people have uh, moved to that remote work model, uh, shopping from home, uh, certainly online um, retail, online or e-commerce e has, you know, certainly, uh, I'd say, grown at a pace that was not expected, of, you know, if you, we, we talked two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, what that has done, it really has opened up some new, new what we call attack vectors uh, in that e-commerce and online space. Uh, think about your credit card. You know, we, we all have these, these chip cards now, which are great for security, right? You, that chip, uh, the EMV chip gives you uh, a great control. However, when you go online um, to, and use your credit card, the chip is not in really in use. So you're still using your credit card number, your sure. PVV perhaps, uh, and really old school type of uh, you know, controls there. So I think that's been a bit of a st step backwards. Um, we see, talking about chip cards, we see um, credit card skimmers being used more, certainly in, in public and crowded places. We see use of uh, SIM spoofing uh, mm. techniques, which is really about- uh, So can you tell- yeah. Uh, Omar, I'm sorry. Uh, can, sure. For the folks that don't know what SIM spoofing is, can you just yeah. explain? Exactly. So it's really a, a way to defeat multi-factor. And multi-factor, you know, for those of um, the listeners who don't know, is essentially when you log in, you get a maybe a text message saying, hey, can you verify on your cell phone uh, whether or not you just tried to log in? Um, so it's basically adding an additional uh, channel to confirm your identity. Uh, so with SIM spoofing, it's designed to defeat that. Essentially, uh, the attackers are uh, replacing um, the SIM uh, that is used with your uh, you know, mobile phone number uh, so that when that text goes out uh, for multi-factor, it goes to their, uh, you know, their device. And mm -hmm. there's, there's various ways to do this. It's not a very simple attack, but certainly it, it, you know, it has been done uh, it relies actually on some of the controls your, uh, tele, your, te, uh, your, your cellular providers have in place just to mm -hmm. make sure that nobody can call in and say, hey, I'm Omar and I just lost my SIM. Can you issue me a new SIM? So that's at a very, very basic level. That's how you know, this, this attack works. Thank you. Yep. 
Uh, we're also seeing Mark, you know, really uh, email compromise. So that's been uh, that's been on the uptake as well. And and that's think of it as you know getting a uh, maybe an email invoice from a trusted uh, vendor where you you send well this the email address looks good. This came from you know, Omar at Pro, but but really it's it's an attacker who's been able to compromise my uh, my email perhaps. And of course you know data breaches and we read about this every week uh, as well as ransomware. Uh, I think that's still out there. Uh, the ransomware attacks we have seen over the last year, year and a half, I think have really ramped up in sophistication. Mm. Uh, and what's interesting, Mark, is we are seeing uh, really these hybrid attacks now where it's not just, you know, them uh, encrypting uh, servers or, or, or workstations saying, hey, PS, or you lose all this data. We have gotten as an industry better with our backups, with our business continuity. Um, technologies so that we are able to kind of withstand and say, well, you know, I have a backup from yesterday, so I don't have to pay you. I'm just going to restore to that. So what the attacker is doing now is mixing that in with, with data theft. Uh, there, in fact, we have seen cases where they are contacting the, the customers and perhaps stakeholders of these the victim organizations saying, hey, by the way, we, we have your information. So if your bank doesn't pay us, we will put it out on the internet. So really, you know, trying to use that, whatever leverage they have uh, to get paid. As I said earlier, you know, this, this is really uh, for you know, organized crime now uh, for profit, right? So yeah, so that's, that's been the trend. So some of them more of the same uh, and, and really increasing sophistication. Uh, and of course, you know, we all heard about the, you know, the big attacks last year and earlier mm -hmm. this year around the supply chain. So think about some solar winds and some of the Microsoft Exchange um, attacks that happen. Um, so, I mean, you may think, you know, as an organization, you have security under control, you're well buttoned up, but hey, you still have vendors, you have third parties that you rely on. What about them, right? Sure. So sure. that's been some of what we have been seeing recently, Mark. Excellent. I, I appreciate that. Um, now, kind of shifting gears, being that it's such a highly regulated space, um, Omar, uh, what, what have you seen the regulators been doing? How, how, have, how have they been engaging? Have they been providing additional guidance for the space? Um, anything you could share with the listeners would be greatly appreciated. Absolutely, and you're, you're, you're exactly right, Mark. This, you know, our industry is one of the um, you know, most highly regulated industries in the US and, and, and really uh, globally. Uh, and you know that comes with a certain amount of burden, quite a bit of burden. Um, uh, but also there's there's benefits to that, and we spoke a bit earlier about those. And just talking about those themes, so we have seen that the regulators in the banking space or in, in insurance space, within by DFS, OCC, the Federal Reserve, all of them have been highly engaged uh, with with the industry over the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. I think initially there was a lot of consternation and apprehension there about how the industry will weather the, you know, the first wave, let's say, of, of the pandemic and going uh, remote and, and really remote access, moving quickly to online banking, perhaps, or you know, uh, closing down physical uh, branches and locations. Once the regulators saw that the industry it handled that quite well, was able to weather that initial uh, you know, storm, let's say, I'd say it was business as usual after that. So we we were thinking perhaps maybe you know we'll give a little bit of a uh, you know space to the industry saying well take a year and figure these things out and then we'll come back next year. No, um, the regulators have been very hands on, and I think and perhaps I think there's 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 good uh, rationale behind this. I think they are even. Um, 
little bit more uh, involved than they would normally be, just to make sure uh, that you know they're not blindsided by any major major issue. Uh, we have seen, and I'll start. You know, our industry. You know, we have really large institutions like Citibanks and Chase, et cetera. And then we have, we work with community banks and credit unions, you know, uh, your, your corner bank. So, and during, you know, at each end of the, the segment, the engagement with the regulators is a little bit slightly different uh, from what we see. Uh, on, the, on the large side, uh, the regulators have been driving uh, you know, these large institutions to really formalize their the ID risk governance programs. So what that means is not only having technologies in place and training people uh, you know, to use them, but really understanding uh, that there is overall accountability uh, in this program, going all the way up to the board of directors, uh, the, the policies, the standards, the procedures are formalized. Uh, the controls are well known, they're inventoried, they're tested on a regular basis, the testing is documented. Uh, so really building a holistic picture of what that IT you know, and, and technology program looks like um, at, at that particular bank. And then of course, you know, they're looking at um, third party risk management, uh, you know, really a push towards that three lines of defense model. I, and it's really about has, you know, delineating um, those frontline tasks, uh, operational tasks from risk management and audit. So those are the three lines that, you know, are typically in that model. So we have seen regulators like essentially asking for that type of organizational structure uh, from some of these banks. Uh, on the smaller side, Mark, we are, you know, still some of the, the, the fundamentals of security. So that vulnerability and patch management, um, you know, business continuity, testing, sure. incident response, cyber resilience. Uh, and I, I was speaking with a client, uh, I'd say maybe a few months ago about some of this, and they were saying, well, it's how come, you know, as an industry, we, we still are struggling with these basics. And, you know, if you think about it, really, these are, you know, not basics, I would say these are foundational things that, that always are, are an issue. Uh, you know, I, I try to hack away at golf on the weekends sometimes, Mark, and one of the things that I think about when I'm out there, you know, the weekend golfer is my stance and my grip, very, very basic things, but I'm sure the PGA pros are doing the same thing because sure. these are foundational. Without the right stance and the right grip, you're not going to be able to play that sport. It's the same thing in security, that the foundational are all, things are always there, and the regulators are aware of this, and, and they continue to, um, you know, push the industry and, and, and as all of us uh, to make sure that these are uh, these are in place. I love the golf analogy. I, I may I may I may have to take that one from you. <laughs> so 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 Omar, um, you know, I, since there's obviously much more regulation and there's been a significant change in the threats, that would make me uh, lead me to believe that there's been new technologies that have been developed to help solve some of these issues or perhaps. Um, uh, help with an organization with, you know, kind of building those basic uh, blocks, if you will. Yeah. Um, can you just kind of share some of the, the new technology that, you know, uh, your team might find meaningful when dealing with, you know, financial services type clients? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great point, Mark. And, you know, it's, it's interesting and financial services and financial, you know, institutions, as you know, are quite conservative uh, in their approach to adopting new technologies for good reason. You know, we are, in an industry that that moves a lot of money uh, and it directly uh, affects you know our our customers and our our users finances so the conservatism is a good thing 
Um, what we have seen over the last couple of years, especially at the mid and small um, ends of the segment, is you know, cloud adoption has really taken off in financial services. Now, in other industries, you know, that was a case maybe four or five years ago. Uh, but in FS, I'd say over the last two years, it has really um, taken off. And that's that's a good thing. We are, you know, we who are uh, working on the information security and resilience perspective are, are, are really happy for this development. Um, and it's interesting that it's really, it's a push-pull effect. Uh, certainly the, you know, the banks and, and insurance and credit unions are, uh, you know, moving in this direction, but the cloud providers have finally, I think, also woken up to the fact that they have this huge industry out there that mm. really wasn't that excited about their products and services. So how to how do you engage with this, you know, with this set of uh, uh, prospects? So you know, we have heard, as you know, um, this year Microsoft announced their their FS Cloud, and IBM came out with FS Cloud offering as well. So it's really trying to make sure that that adoption uh, for uh, financial industry, uh, you know, participants is uh, kind of easy, and there's a roadmap in place on uh, you know how to do it. Um, certainly, you know, Office 365 and and Azure uh, AD has been a great boon. Uh, you know, that's been really almost a Trojan horse, as a, <clears throat> so to speak, for cloud adoption. Uh, many banks have gone to cloud without even knowing, and like, oh wow, we, we do have the cloud because we sure. use Office sure. 365. Yeah, uh, so it, I guess it is secure, and we can continue in this journey. So that's been a great, you know, a great way to start. Uh, certainly, Salesforce, Workday, all of these um, you know, application as a service offerings have also given our our industry confidence that yep, cloud can be adopted in securely and in, and in a way that really helps you know cut costs, speed up um, their transformation, and 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 uh, really provide more security. I think the challenge here, Mark, is really understanding um, that you know, for many of the cloud services, the security, it's really a shared responsibility model. Sure. Uh, your cloud, cloud providers are going to provide you with these great technologies and controls to secure your you know, <clears throat> applications or services in the cloud. But part of the implementation is the responsibility of the, uh, the user, right? And I think that's been a been a education for some of our smaller clients is oh yeah it's not just enough to say we've moved everything to AWS so we are secure now right you got to go in and you got to set up that sure. ID and access management your security groups your firewalls all that good stuff right I mean that someone needs to do it whether you get a third party to do it or do it yourself so I think that's been one of the things that we are seeing we're also seeing quite a bit of uh, adoption of RPA robotic process automation in the financial uh, institutions and uh, industry and it makes a lot of sense i mean if you think about you know like the mortgage and lending process there are a lot of routine tasks which are very repetitive uh, you know employment verification credit checks title orders <clears throat> reports etc so it's <clears throat> RPA we feel is a boon in our industry it can really Again, cut costs, speed up transactions, you know, make our, our customers, the end customers uh, happier, but it does also pose some risks. Sure. Um, so if you think about a robot, you know, from this perspective, a software robot, it's really designed to do, you know, tasks that involve various applications repeatedly and very quickly. Um, so when you're accessing as a user various applications, you may have to log in, right? So I, I log into my uh, you know, Microsoft account, do something and log into my email account, do something else or, you know, and so on. 
Um, so there's really a tendency we've we've seen in the past with folks who are programming these robots to essentially hard code those login and credentials rather than using a secure method to access them each time because that slows them down, right? Honestly speaking. So in the in the interest of speed, we have seen cases where that security has been compromised. Um, so that's one of the risks that we we caution our clients towards is yeah yeah I mean make sure that you know RPA and automation is not moving you into the direction of taking any shortcuts. Sure. Um, and again, I mean, these robots are usually accessing fairly, you know, if not sensitive, but important data at the enterprise level, large amounts of it. So there is a risk that if, if any of these processes are breached, that data can, um, you know, can, can be lost or can get out. And lastly, you know, most of our clients in financial institutions are not, you know, doing a lot of software development. So if they're using RPA and, and these you know, really uh, custom robots, they are probably developed by a third party for them. So sure. there is that risk of, you know, some fraudulent, uh, uh, you know, maybe a backdoor put into a, a robot software or, or something that's, you know, uh, can, can lead to fraud. So I think, you know, banks and financial institutions moving in this direction need to be quite cognizant of who they're working with. In terms of you know implementation and deployment of RPA, just to make sure that um, those risks are mitigated. Uh, and lastly, and I mean, you talked about new technologies, Mark, and you know we've all been inundated with with, with crypto and and the mania around uh, the various currencies and tokens. So our financial industry clients are not immune to that, and they're also quite interested in in how you know crypto and blockchain technologies can help them. Um, you know, again make money and cut costs. Um, we have seen, I'd say, two different um, ways that our, our clients are moving in this direction. One is really adopt, adoption of blockchains. And that's the, you know, the, the basic technology underlying uh, cryptos. Think of it as a distributed ledger uh, you know, where uh, that you don't need an intermediary uh, to, to provide that trust uh, and, and, and it's really, everybody has access to it. You can see what everyone else is doing and that's where kind of the trust comes from. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you can uh, replace intermediaries in financial transactions, many of them, you can make them, you know, drop the cost again, you know, increase the speed of these transactions, offer better uh, end user services. That's great. So our, our, our industry likes that. It, it wants to adopt that uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that is, I'd say secure and 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 resilient. Secondly, of course, you know there is a desire uh, when you look at the whole crypto uh, trading market that's out there today. Uh, tons of money being made by players like you know Coinbase, Robinhood, uh, in terms of uh, broker fees, etc. So how do you know how do your uh, does your uh, uh, neighborhood bank get into this game, you know? So I think that's that's really, and we 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 do get a lot of, lot of questions around it from our from our clients. I, I'd say, I mean, there's more there to be wary of in terms of risk. Uh, as you know, it's a highly speculative market right now. Um, you know, certainly, you know, so the big crypto players. If you think about the bitcoins, the Ethereum's, you know, these are trusted technologies. They have been well vetted. We know that tomorrow we're not, you know, we're not going to find out. Well. Bitcoin doesn't work because it's insecure. That's highly, highly unlikely to happen. But the fact is that we are seeing, you know, hundreds of new tokens and um, currencies, so-called currencies being launched every week. 
many of them are based on new technologies which have not really gone through any uh, type of vetting uh, and, and review. Um, so there's there's a lot of risk there as well. And of course, you know, when we talk about crypto, uh, there is that potential uh, that you know because of the, the anonymity it 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 kind of uh, provides uh, those the financial crime aspect goes back into place. So money laundering and other criminal activities, uh, it's a huge issue for banks, right? I mean, if you have a uh, crypto account that they're you know you're keeping for a, for a client and you don't have visibility into how money is being moved and, and to whom, um, there is you know, AML uh, issues yeah. there, right? Um, so I think that's, and, and this, you know, it's tying back into the, the regulators. So regulators have also become, I'd say, over the last eight to 12 months, highly interested in this, this area. However, we don't have today clear regulations on how banks and financial institutions are supposed to you know, play in this, this segment. Uh, I know we've been reading that Congress is highly interested in this uh, in, in the recent weeks and months. So we, it'd be interesting to see how this evolves from the regulatory point of view, where we go. So I, I'd say there are a lot of unknowns right now in the in the crypto world as it pertains to financial industry, you know, uh, institution and financial services. Uh, and we are taking a little bit of a you know wait and see approach. How do the regulators and how do the various industry players? Um, you know, what, what do they do here over the next six to 12 months? Sure. So, so, so Omar, um, it, my, my last question to you on, given the fact that there's many security firms, we've been seeing an, an uptick with um, uh, accounting firms expanding their advisory practices. Yeah. And, and I think Crow is uniquely positioned to help from a, like a 360 model from the pre-breach to all the way helping figure out what the, the business income calculation might be. Can you just talk a little bit about that, you know, that 360 type of model? Yep. Yeah. Thanks for the, the great plug there, uh, Mark. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's actually a very good point. Um, you know, we have seen security being treated as, as a siloed service, you know, traditionally. Uh, there will be the specialists who come in uh, for a very, very specific purpose. What we have seen from our perspective as, as an accounting firm that does, we have a risk practice, we have a consulting practice, we have a fairly large audit practice as well, that it really, all of these things tie in together. Security is no longer, you know, can be treated as a siloed um, service or, or uh, application. I think that's very dangerous, in fact, to do it that way. Um, so what, what we work with, the way we work with our clients is, you know, as you said, we start um, with really helping them from the advisory perspective, from the consulting perspective, in doing risk assessments, understanding where you know their technology risks lie, and helping them put together those you know those programs to help build controls, you know, mitigate the risk to the extent that they they want to and they need to, and then come in uh, as an you know we can come in as an audit practice and and make sure that that control framework is is compliant uh, and and effective. Uh, and then, of course, as you said, post incident or or during incident, we have incident response, uh, you know, services that can help our clients during an incident, and of course, come in afterwards as a forensic uh, from a forensic perspective and and after action. So, uh, you know, from our perspective, it all ties in together, uh, and and really, and we find that partnering, you know, with with uh, other. Uh, Experts like yourself, you know, like Marsh McClellan uh, on the insurance area, as well as technology firms more on the technical side, really helps us, us provide a better, uh, you know, 
uh, level of service to our clients. So we're not in this alone. I, I don't think any, any one organization has everything figured out. So I think it's very important that we recognize that and build those, those partnerships so that our clients can really benefit from, from our expertise. Well, Omar, I couldn't have said that any better myself. It seems like the, uh, the sum of the whole is, is much better than any one individual themselves. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for coming on the show and chatting cyber with us. Well, thank you, Mark, for the invitation. And it's, it's been a pleasure. Hope we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.